This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. You're not learning. You're not selling until someone says no. You're not learning until you have a failure. There are very few efforts that someone launches and you flip the switch and suddenly you have 10,000 customers and you can't handle the demand. That's the voice of Jonah Storr. He's the head of Ultimate Ears Custom Headphones at Logitech. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hey there, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, very interesting episode today. We're I'm speaking- so jealous I wasn't on the call. Like, I couldn't <laughs> make it this uh, this time. Oh, man, I was listening back to it going, God damn, I wish I was on this uh, episode. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, little tease. Um, Michael wasn't available for this episode, but I held the fort and spoke to Jonah, who heads up custom headphones at Logitech. It was a really fascinating conversation. We talk about how they've designed their CX approach the philosophy he has around finding CX unlocks and is customization actually something that customers want? Yes, I loved this episode and I knew that I was going to love it because I'm an audiophile and I love like great headphones and products and stuff like that. But actually the thing that I love the most about it is the mindset that Jonah brings to developing not only great product, but executing it from a channel standpoint. So this episode is action packed with customer experience nuggets throughout. Yes, Michael, that is absolutely right. But before we dive into Jonah's experience with custom headphones, we actually started by talking to him about one of his early startups where there were so many CX lessons. It's a tween apparel brand called Little Mismatched. And we started by asking Jonah to explain what that was. So Little Mismatched was founded in... 2003. And 2003 was an important year because there's a three at the end. And Little Mismatched was founded on the premise that tween age girls do not need to match their socks. They should have freedom of expression and the freedom to be who they wanted to be. And so we sold socks that did not match, sold in packages of three. So three individual non-matching socks and we used to say that our product was kid loved, but mom approved. So the mom would roll their eyes and the kid would stomp their foot and say, but mom, they're just socks. And the mom would say, okay, you can buy them. <laughs> I love that line. It's actually a really nice insight into understanding the customer set, you know, because teenagers do want to break the rules a little bit, but in a way that, uh, that, that mom's still okay with. So, tell me a little bit about this philosophy of selling mismatched socks. It's really bizarre, really, when you think about it, and something that most people will have never heard of before. It sort of goes to the core question of what are you selling? And so, at Little Mismatched, we never started the brand to sell socks. Socks were a vehicle to sell creativity and self-expression. And that was our why from the very, very, very beginning. We were trying to build a lifestyle brand to inspire children to truly express themselves. And so our what was socks that do not match sold in odd numbers. And so, you know, often today talking about consumer experience, people get stuck on the what and everything becomes a features and benefits. And if you see how I started explaining it as well, I started by explaining it's socks sold in packs of three that do not match. But that's never 
generally what gets someone to want to buy something, right? They have to have an emotional connection. And so if you look at my career, I've always spent time trying to think about what's what's going to get someone to emotionally connect with the product and what's going to inspire them and how can every touch point tell that story. Yeah. And what you're referring to here is, of course, the start with why philosophy, Simon Sinek. We can pop a link to that in the show notes. We've talked about it actually on the show a couple of times in the past and you know, really love this idea. So, I suppose this is worth unpacking then. If the customer experience is the why, right? It's the philosophy that you're trying to sell rather than the product itself. How do you find what that why is, that emotional connection? Where do you find it? Where do you go looking for it? You know, I think the answers are sort of everywhere. And, you know, I had the good fortune of working for many years at a place called Frog Design, which was at the time we called ourselves uh, an innovation consulting firm. I don't know what Frog calls itself now. And Frog, for those that don't know, designed the original Apple computers, among other things, with Steve Jobs. But I learned about research, and I'm not a formal researcher, but for example, a little mismatched, I got on my hands and knees, looked kids in the eyes, and asked them questions. When we were trying to come up with a name, we first thought the company would be called Mismatch. And I wrote the name on pieces of eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper in various permutations and walked down the streets of San Francisco and just said, hey, do you mind telling me what you think this name means? And mismatch, they would say, oh, it's a, it's a girl that matches. And I said, well, that's not at all what our brand's about. This isn't going to work. And when I somehow put together a little miss and matched with an ED, suddenly people realized that I'd say, well, what is this about? And they'd say, it's a little girl who's mismatched, or you can be slightly mismatched. Suddenly, we had a double or triple entendre that all supported the brand, but it was through research, but just very basic techniques to get to the answers. Yeah. So, I love this. And actually, what you're kind of talking about here is the hard work of practically getting outside the office and going and talking to people and asking questions and really getting customer feedback on something, you know, the name, the product, the philosophy, all those kinds of things. This is kind of difficult, right, to do, or is it not difficult? I think it depends on your personality. I mean, I I love to talk to people. You know, and the insights are everywhere and you're, you know, there's a ton of business cliches, but one of them is, you know, work fast, fail fast, and through failing fast, you're going to get there quicker. I mean, if you look back at that project or that company, everything was a failure. We knew the end-to-end was going to be an amazing consumer experience. And so what we designed, uh, you know, how do we disrupt every single touch point? Well, socks are normally in this cardboard package that you rip off and throw away and you don't look at. So we said, how do we make a completely unique package that tells our story and compels someone to come to our website and they can cut up and turn into playing cards? And well, that was great. And we did that. But when I went to the first store where we had sold literally millions of dollars of socks to launch the business, the socks were all strewn around the floor because the stickers that we had put on them weren't sticky enough. Or the consumers were so excited by the packaging and they wanted to try them on or we hadn't you know, nailed the sizing. I mean, there was a million reasons. And so, yeah, we succeeded in launching, we failed in the execution, and then we revised it from there. And you know that's similar to what we're doing with custom fit earphones now. We started, in a, and I'm in a scaled company of Logitech, but we're still a startup and we're still scrappy and we're still solving problems that way. We have an amazing product that we're selling, but we're still iterating and evolving it every single day. So if everything's a failure, do, do you see that as a bad thing from the perspective of customer experience? Or you know, how does this kind of fit into the overarching idea of creating a successful business that has really passionate fans and a really great customer experience? There's two ways to think about uh, building a consumer 
company in my mind. One way is to spend a long time working to finesse every single touch point and to get it perfect out of the gate. And there are companies like Apple that I think do an excellent job at delivering upon that, but they're still pushing releases to their software. They're still revising it over time, but they're creating beautiful objects. And I'm not suggesting that you don't create beautiful objects in whatever you're doing, but the other way is to create small, low-impact tests that are not going to disappoint the consumer. You still want to delight the consumer, but those small tests give you information while you build your business and you're rapidly iterating. And so different kinds of businesses allow you to do that more effectively than others. So for example, when I was in the world of hosiery, we had minimum quantities and we had to make thousands of units. So our tests were what felt like very financially important decisions, but we still made them and we made the, the, the smallest financial decision we could to iterate. I happen to have the benefit now at Ultimate Ears that we're doing a completely bespoke custom product. So we can have an inventory of zero and we can put it online and we can try it out. We know we can make it because we've made samples. And if people don't buy it, we can take that down and we can revise the product. And so part of why I wanted to take on the challenge that I have today is because my time to iterate and the cycle time could be that much more accelerated and the fun could be that much greater because we could always be discovering. This is a very entrepreneurial way of approaching customer experience, of approaching business, of approaching service delivery, of approaching product design. And all of these things kind of sum up into uh, how somebody perceives a, a business and a brand and a product. So, what I'm wondering is if you can tell me about some of those failures and challenges that you had at Little Mismatched and what you learned from them in terms of developing a better product and also a better customer experience. So in terms of failures, you know, we opened a whole series of retail stores and we had stores on Fifth Avenue, Grand Central Station, Disneyland, Disney World. And these stores, we paid an amazing architect to do unbelievable interior design. And I still respect that firm immensely. And we, but at the same time, when we opened pop-up stores, our pop-up stores did just as well as our permanent stores. And why is that? Because when you're in a pop-up store and it's gritty and it's, and it's not refined, the consumer maybe feels even more comfortable. And the kids feel more comfortable digging through a bin and finding their own match than if they're in a perfect, what we call mixing bowl that cost us literally $45,000 in terms of a fixture. And then it was, you know, it was too, too pure for them even to engage. So when we opened our first store, uh, another failure, we just thought the cash register would start ringing. Turns out it didn't. People came and said, why would I want mismatched socks? And the customer experience unlocked there was that one employee lifted their pant legs and said, want to see my socks? And that was like an invitation to come into our store and, and check out and talk to that employee and talk about the crazy sock drawer that you had. And then, then you'd move over to the wall and start picking them out and say, hey, I could do this. And the average customer walked out spending $50 and we had a close rate of like 65% of the customers. But it was the want to see my socks. I love that story. And just before we move on, I want to take a quick moment to point out some terminology that you use there, which is the term customer experience unlock. Uh, this isn't something that I've heard before, but I really love this concept of a, of a CX unlock. You'll be looking out for them uh, when you're going through this process of iterative product development. 
And a good example of that is what you were just talking about. It's such a simple thing because, you know, we're used to as people buying socks in pairs. And so, you walk into a store and they say, hey, want to buy some mismatched socks? And you go, like, why would I want that? And then that CX unlock of somebody just lifting their pant legs and going, hey, want to see my socks? And having a conversation about it, having a bit of fun, being playful, being authentic, connecting, having a relationship with the staff member, with the team, that all makes a really big difference. And I can see how that works. So, how do you take that then and scale that and go, all right, well, you know, where do we take this from here? We notice something that's working. What's our next step after that? I mean, I think it depends on the unlock and it depends on the organization. So, you know, in that case, we had hundreds of employees and we needed to build it into our training process. We needed to build it into the store experience for each of our stores and each of our employees literally went through actor training to find their own voice and doing that same thing. So it's if everyone's saying, want to see my socks and they're doing it in a disingenuous way, that's not an unlock. It has to be a welcome invitation in that case. One of the things that comes to mind when we're having this conversation is, for example, here at Logitech, I'm working on a product that I can't discuss, but our head of design, Alistair Curtis, said, don't be afraid to be polarizing. And one of the things that I realized is that everything that I've done professionally is polarizing. And so I completely agreed with what he said in that meeting. And so if you think back to a little mismatched, wearing mismatched socks is fundamentally polarizing. Either you're in or you're out. If you're in, you're unbelievably fervently committed to this self-expression. If you're out, well, you're out. We're not going to sell you. So now how does that translate? Those were $9 packs of socks. Now I'm selling $500 to $1,500 earphones. Well, if we market to the wrong customer today with the same piece of advertising, the comments that we will find on Facebook are, this is insane. These people are crazy. This is overpriced. If we market to the correct audience, we get, these are the best earphones that money can buy. These have created unbelievable delight in my life. You should absolutely buy these. I bought them and they were the best product I ever bought. And so as entrepreneurs or as business leaders, we now know that we need to find our customer. At the same time, we also know we're starting to find our why. Here are these people telling us online and through our customer service that they're able to hear music that they've never heard before. And they're telling us why they love them and what their emotional connection is to the product. And it's through the polarization that we unlock that. So, Jonah, welcome to the Quickfire Round. This is our game show segment where we ask lightning questions and you've got 10 seconds to answer. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) Your time starts at the end of the first question. What brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? So, I just got finished listening to Elon Musk's Joe Rogan interview, though it's a few months passe and I could say he's a great brand he's created a great brand and then there's some pitfalls therein what did you want to be when you grew up you know I always think I wanted to be an entrepreneur I started selling things at garage sales when I was about six years old created my own postcards when I was seven years old and sold them to the local greeting card store what skill are you terrible at excel What are you reading right now? I think it's hard to read these days, although the Golden State Warriors just lost 
the national championship and Andre Iguodala just gave me a copy of his book at an event. So I was reading that this weekend. It's called The Sixth Man. It's interesting to think about being the sixth man when a team has the starting five and it's got, I'm sure, lots of applications to business. Who's someone that you really admire? I admire my wife because she is an attorney and she's incredibly focused and she has an incredibly rigorous task list and she methodically gets through everything that she needs to get through while also being a great mom. Jonah, what non-work-related thing are you really into right now? I'm into two things. Number one, I have a house that I built with my own two hands in the middle of nowhere, which is off-grid. So that's been a 17-year-long passion project. And the other thing that I've been really into is basketball. I play it twice a week, and I find that it turns my brain off and allows me to think in new ways and just sort of feel liberated, not just during the play, but after. I'm interested, where do you go to upskill? Um, you know, what channels? Is it books, YouTube, podcasts, or, or something else entirely? You know, it's funny. Everyone always asks, what book have you read? I find uh, the way I upskill is by asking a lot of questions. So it's more about who, am I t- who have I talked to? Who have I learned something from? So to finish up, what is your guilty pleasure? Between the hours of 10 at night, And midnight, I binge watch shows on Netflix. So, Jenna, we've been hearing a lot about customization in customer experience for many years. You know, Nike's been doing custom shoes where you can get your name written on them. There was the whole share a Coke campaign where you can, you know, get your name on a a Coke can or a bottle of Coke. And of course, you know, you guys at Ultimate Ears and, and Logitech are building this really incredible custom earphones product. But what I'm interested in asking, you know, from a customer experience perspective, does customization actually work? Do consumers really want to customize their products? Well, there's only one answer, which is yes, because I've spent <laughs> the last two and a half years working on it. And I, can, and I can tell you that we have a lot of incredibly dedicated customers, but it wasn't always yes. All right, unpack that for me. What's underneath that little teaser? The question is, what are we selling or why are we selling it, right? And so I'm, I came into a very engineering-focused organization that had unbelievable innovation, disruptive innovation. The ability to take your ear geometry down to a micron and custom fit an earphone in five days with many, many hours and 100 touches, crazy engineering marvel. But the only people that wanted it were stage musicians that were performing in the Grammys. And my job was to figure out how to get consumers, regular people like you and me, to want to buy these. And going through all of the engineering marvels was not interesting. So what I've spent over two years working on is trying to figure out the answer to the question that you just asked. And the answer is people that love music love their music more when they're listening to our earphones. People hear things in their music that they never heard before. People are finding joy through using these earphones, just moments of joy. But if you think about how long people spend consuming content, it's actually the number one thing that people do while they're awake is consume content. Why not do it with the best device that's going to make you happier? And it's probably worth just explaining a little bit about what what this product is so that people understand what a custom in-ear headphone actually is. So... Your ear is very weird and very unique, and everyone has a unique ear print. And 
like a bespoke suit that is made to measure, we make completely custom fit earphones that fit only your or our consumers ear geometry, such that no one else can wear them, such that it completely isolates you so that you hear the benefits of the sound and does not fall out and is comfortable. You could literally sleep in them on an airplane. And so this is really hard. There's a whole series of technologies, incredibly cutting edge technologies that enable us to do this today. But the net result is that we actually make a really cool product that is wonderful to own. When you go to your favorite musician's performance and you see those things in their ears, most likely they are ultimate ears when they're on stage. For over 20 years, Ultimate Ears has been outfitting leading touring musicians with this professional tool. And now we're delivering that to people like you and me to hear the world the way that they hear it when they're on stage. If I want to buy some Ultimate Ears custom headphones, what's the experience like? And how am I going and getting this unique ear mold made and these fancy headphones constructed? So, one of the consumer experience unlocks that we have discovered is that. To build a consumer business against the professional product, we needed to have an easy way to get your geometry, to get your unique measurements. So historically, when 20 years ago, when Ultimate Ears was invented in the back of Van Halen's tour bus, you put foam in your ear while clamping on a foam bit, and that created a mold. Logitech's next development was they created an ear scanner that would literally scan with a laser your ear geometry. Both of these required highly trained technicians, and those trained technicians had to stand by and do this for you. That would not scale. And so for us, we went to work trying to figure out a solution so that you, sitting in your studio or in your living room, could get fit for these earphones. So now, if you are interested in getting custom fit earphones, you go to custom.ultimateears.com, you place your order. And what we deliver you is a fit kit. This fit kit is a unique little box that within 10 minutes, you can fit yourself. And then you mail it back to us. We use what you mail back to build your earphones within five business days. We then FedEx them back to you. And ta-da, you have something that is only yours, fit to your geometry, your specified speakers, and they sound awesome. Right. And and so, let's unpack this a little bit more then. You've gone from a situation where, you know, traditionally to get a custom-fitted earphone, you would essentially have to go into basically a lab environment and, you know, have a specially trained scientist specially design a custom-fitting earphone for you to where you're now in a consumer market where people can do this in their living room. So, what was it that really took you to that next level, which enabled people to be able to self-fit these earphones in their own living room? We explored pretty much every technology that we could think through. And we ultimately ended up buying a technology and a team, which was the leading Canadian Kickstarter called Revels. And what this technology is, is it is a unique ear tip that is completely squishy to the touch. And then you download our iPhone app and you go through a very quick process. And in 60 seconds, that squishy ear tip that you've put into your ear becomes solid. And it happens through the power of light. And so that technology we acquired them before this was all completely um, figured out and we collaborated together. They're here on our team now. We collaborated together to figure this out and to use it as the tool for our fit kit. That's a very technical answer, but it was clear that we needed to figure out a way for you to do it in your living room or this was not going to scale. 
The way that we got to that assumption is another CX unlock, which is Logitech being a highly technical organization had already tried to sell to the consumer in France at a store called Fnac, which is like the best buy in the United States. It's a really reputable retailer. And we built a beautiful kiosk and we had trained technicians that were there to scan your ears. And all anyone said is, pardon, pardon, où se trouve le? And they would add a brand in that was not ours because we were new and different. And I stood there for three days. I said, we can't be compared to other earphones. We are uncomparable. And it turns out a buddy of mine owns the fanciest store in San Francisco for bespoke clothing. And so instead of dumbing down the earphones and trying to get them into a mass market retailer, we went into the fanciest store available where they sell $10,000 suits. And we were literally closing one and two customers on creating bespoke earphones after they had been fit for their bespoke suit. And so we realized there was a consumer that wanted this and that actually highly valued it. After we shipped hundreds and hundreds of these, we started doing surveys and asking them. And we had net promoter scores that were through the roof. I mean, these people loved the product. Consumer unlock number three, another consumer unlock. The more that we worked to fit someone in our earphones, the more work they put into the product and we put into the product, the more they liked the product. So we learned through that process that it was okay to mess up from time to time so long as we rectified the mess up. And so, you know, one of the concerns always in a technology organization is do we have the technology that can deliver 100%? We have really, really good technology, but every technology and non-technology, there's going to be mistakes. And so we have an amazing customer service team that rectifies the mistakes, that holds your hand, that helps you through the process, that reassures you. Another customer experience on lock is that people have anxiety. They have ear anxiety. Did I do it right? Did I do it right in my living room? We have revised the app five times now, and we've only been doing this for six months. And we have ways to interject into the consumer experience and to invite the consumer to engage with our customer service team and to help them. Again, in rapid iteration, we've learned these things and then we adapt our business model. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love this idea of the customer experience unlocks because what you're doing is you're basically turning these really challenging failure situations into learning moments. And what I found interesting about that story is there's actually a lot of these failures. A lot of things don't go to plan. So, Jonah, what is your philosophy when it comes to failure in customer experience? I think it's the best thing that can happen to you. I mean, it's funny. I I was talking to someone recently and I I told you I love basketball and I was saying, God, it totally pisses me off that I missed that pass and I didn't hit the shot and I didn't do this. I said, oh my God, it was so amazing. And what I realized is that that's not dissimilar to what goes on here in business, right? But I dwell on the mistakes because I don't want to make them again, but I enjoy the process all the way through. And so similarly in business, I mean, a mistake, you're not learning, you're not selling until someone says no, you're not learning until you have a failure. There are very few efforts that you hit a home run on the first pitch or whatever cliche you want. There's very few efforts that someone launches and you flip the switch and suddenly you have 10,000 customers and you can't handle the demand. I believe in a philosophy of incrementalism, right? So let's get the first single, then let's get another single, let's keep getting people on base and eventually we're going to score runs. And it's much more manageable. You can, through that process, you can plan against it and you can win in the end. I I think that makes a lot of sense. But consumers have fairly high expectations. And so how do you manage 
people complaining or how do you manage the expectations of a customer whilst you're taking them on that iterative journey? You know, in today's world where everything is connected and everything is smart, most of your products that have a chip in them is learning all the time. So this is not new. When you made the decision to buy your iPhone, you made a decision to allow Apple to iterate your product while you own it. When you buy your Tesla, they are iterating and updating your your autopilot. And so we're not selling an inferior product yesterday and today it's a good product. All of our products are unbelievable, unparalleled, great consumer experiences, but there will be failures along the way. And if we, if we fail, we recognize it. If we let someone down, we recognize it and we make good on it. So for example, try our product out, 100% money back guaranteed. If you don't like it, send it back to us. If you want us to work really hard to make it awesome for you, we will also do that. And that's really honest and people appreciate it. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. You know, that that honesty and that transparency of dealing with a problem. I mean, it's kind of impossible not to have issues sometimes when you're dealing with products, which I guess, <laughs> you know, is finicky as custom fit earphones. So, my guess is your support team is, you know, they've got a playbook and they're well-trained in how to deal with this and how to talk the customer through retrying again in a different way and helping them through it step by step. And so, it's important to acknowledge that things don't always go to plan and to have some steps and some processes to go through when that happens. Nothing is ever 100%, right? So, we have to acknowledge that. And what we're doing is really hard. And it's funny, like, I look at your vest that you're wearing and I was in the apparel industry and, you know, it's pretty easy. You got four sizes and one of them is going to fit. And there's other failures that can happen. And we've, we've learned about different brands that have see-through clothing or they have, you know, problems, but the, the failures are relatively limited. But what's interesting about high tech and another thing that I've learned is that if you put too much in it, the consumer expects everything to be flawless. So if you think about our process, we have a fit kit, we have a website that's an e-commerce website. We have 3d printing to print your ear shell. We have people with tweezers spending five plus hours and a hundred steps to make these earphones. We have a Bluetooth wire. We have an entire supply chain and you just expect it to work. You just expect it. You're going to put it in, you're going to pair it, and it's going to be amazing. 99% of the time it is, but you just, with our product, you invested a ton of money and we need to get it right. Now, when you buy a bespoke suit, it's made in Italy by craftsmen. It comes and the, t- the local tailor adjusts it. They're adjusting clothing in relatively large measurements. We're dealing with microns, sub-millimeters. And, you know, so this is just really hard stuff. But again, I keep saying, you know, we are delighting people that we are able to achieve it. And it's really one of the only things that you can have that's truly yours, right? That's not a mass market product. So I, I think what, I've, what I'm discovering through this process is people are willing to give us the benefit of the doubt so long as we're honest and truthful and, and helpful and, and do our best. Jonah, this has been really fascinating and, and thank you for sharing your insights. I love the philosophy um, of, of failing fast, of really you know, getting out into the market and listening to customers and of finding those CX unlocks which help build a business to you know, be able to push through those failures over time and embrace them over time to ultimately get to that success um, in the long run. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really, really delightful. Well, thank you. I had fun too.
All right, what a wonderful episode. Michael, you are now back and joining us for the debrief. Since you were not actually on this episode, what did you think of it? No, it really was a fantastic episode. I listened to this on the the ride into the office and was just itching to turn the microphone on to get to the debrief. So let's get started. What was your first takeaway, Adam? The first big takeaway that I had from this episode was, I mean, this was a great reminder that you're not selling the the what of your product. You know, you're selling the, the why. This is something that's come up a couple of times on the show before. You know, Simon Sinek, start with why. It's at the beginning of our flywheel. Exactly. It is part of our flywheel. <laughs> and there was a few really great examples of this that Jonah talked about. You know, the, the first is that with Little Mismatched, they're not selling mismatched socks. Uh, what they're really selling is this kind of rebellious attitude that is, you know, still approved by mum. And so it allows them to express themselves in an emotional way. What this really does is brings out an emotional connection with your brand and with your customer. And from a customer experience perspective, that's super duper valuable. Mm, I completely agree. And I think what, what for me was quite interesting about the why, which sort of leads into the second one, is that the why doesn't just have to be a slogan or a sentence, you know, which is often what we're seeing in businesses. Like their why was being brought to life by showing the rebellion, not just, you know, kind of the what and then the why was some sort of statement behind. And that sort of actually brings to this sort of second takeaway that I had, which was that there's no reason that you can't iterate on finding your why. Like I know like business world is now obsessed with like purpose and and why. And, and, and often what happens is people sort of lock themselves in meeting rooms or get consulting companies come in and sort of the output is, you know, a nice sentence in a, in a slide deck. But actually there's no reason why you kind of can't iterate with it. Like to the point where, you know, they were playing with words to see what sort of resonates with potential consumers and so I think this sort of spirit of iteration doesn't just have to sit within product or customer experience or service but can actually also be an iterative approach to you know finding the right way to bring your purpose to life. Which is a really nice lead into takeaway number three, which is, you know, kind of how they actually executed this. You know, you've got to be Mm. looking for it. Um, You've got to be kind of out on the ground, hitting the pavement, talking to customers and kind of looking for these, what Jonah called CX unlocks. I mean, there's so many examples of this throughout the episode. When we're talking little mismatched, I mean, he was was out on his hands and knees, looking kids in the eye. And, you know, that kind of highlights the importance of talking to the customer with Ultimate Ears custom headphones. They, you know, tried this kind of distribution channel of of Best Buy, which didn't work. And then they found, you know, high-end fashion retailers was actually a better place for them to sell the product. But you've got to be looking for these things. One of my favorites was when uh, one of the staff members in a little mismatch store lifted up their pant leg and said, want to see my socks? And so that's a really great CX unlock. But you've got to be looking for it. And once you find it, you have to recognize it and then scale it as well. And so I guess... Like part B to the third takeaway here is like they went through like a whole actor training process to train people to authentically engage with the customer. And that was a really key way of bringing that to life. And so really ultimately what's worth doing is just keeping an eye out and and looking for these CX unlocks, recognizing them and then finding ways to scale them with the team. Yeah, that's right. And like it it all sort of comes under the umbrella of that being a very iterative process, right? Like the sort of ideal customer profile as it's known, you know, they had some assumptions as to the right way to 
find that and and engage with that ideal customer profile on the ultimate ear side you know the store in france and then the sort of like expensive um, pop-up execution in a store but actually the best way to engage with the ideal customer profile was on you know they got right on their fourth or the fifth iteration and that's totally okay and that's part of the that's part of the journey which sort of leads me to the fourth sort of takeaway for me is that embracing this true growth mindset is what really underpins all of this right and so when you look at all the literature around growth mindset it's basically basically embracing that you know we're not there yet and we're going to go on this ride and you know some of the setbacks and the micro failures along on that journey teaching you how to get better to get to the point where you're not you're not there yet yeah, and I'm ironically really inspired by this book called Inspired. I've, I've read it twice now in the last month by Marty Kagan. And, and it's really around how to create uh, great products that customers love. And he's got this wonderful sentence in it, which is the sort of two inconvenient truths in creating new product and executing. The first one is that half of our ideas are no good, but we sort of fall in our love with our ideas and we sort of then want to perfectly execute it. So just sort of accepting that actually this this is a 50-50 chance that this will work as opposed to, yes, we absolutely must be in you know Best Buy and execute it this way. So that's sort of the first inconvenient truth. And then the second inconvenient truth is that you will only be great on the like sixth, seventh, fifth, eighth iteration. And so actually just accepting this sort of rapid iteration journey and embracing that growth mindset is how you get to great. And so it's an excellent example of Ultimate Ears and the other stories. You know, they came from an acceptance of half the ideas will be good and actually will only get great on the seventh iteration. One of my favorite moments from that discussion with Jonah was when I asked him about how he feels about failure. Mm. And there was a bit of a, a, a second or two of pause. And then he said, it's the best thing that could have ever happened because it allowed them to learn and adapt and then get it right, you know, later down the track. So you have to fail to actually find those unlocks. So it seems that we have four takeaways that are very interlinked with one another uh, this week. <laughs> so... Let's sum them up. The first takeaway was, this was a beautiful reminder that you're selling your why and not your what. Yeah, and the second takeaway is iterate, iterate, iterate. And it's actually okay to iterate on the finding and execution of your why. Takeaway number three is make sure you're always on the lookout for CX unlocks. And when you find them, notice them, reproduce them and scale them. And the fourth point is underpinning all of this is really you personally embracing a growth mindset because that's how you're going to get these unlocks and take this iterative approach, etc. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. If you'd like to uh, connect with Michael and myself, you can find us both on LinkedIn. We'll pop a link to both of our profiles in the show notes. Awesome. Till next time. Thanks very much. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rateit. Rateit can help you capture in-the-moment feedback, understand the insights from that, and take action to improve the customer experience. So to find out more about how Rateit can help your organization improve your customer experience, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This podcast is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. It was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the episode. Our theme songs are by Icolix, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Adam Jaffrey. I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>